Welcome to the Butterfly Broadcast, sharing stories of transformation after pregnancy and infant loss. I'm your host, Bailey DeMars. Hello, welcome to the Butterfly Broadcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, the pleasure is mine. I was just telling you that I was so excited you were interested in being a guest because I had seen you at an event. Um, it was a movie premiere for How to Support a Loved One Who Lost a Baby. And I just remember seeing you and your husband there. And I was so touched by the love you have for each other, for your sweet baby. So I want everyone else to get to know you a little bit better. Kennedy is actually a dental hygienist, just like myself. So a girl after my own heart. <laughs> Yes. And I'd love for you to fill in a little bit more and tell us about you. Um, well, being a dental hygienist is kind of just my life right now. I work every day. Um, and my husband's name is Brady. We've been married for three years now. Our anniversary was in July. Um, we met down when he was going to school at BYU and got married and live here in Cedar Hills in Utah and had our baby William back in January. And that's the story I'll be telling. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm ready to dive right in. I'd love to hear what life was like for you and your husband before, you know, having this baby. Yeah. Um, so I had actually had a early miscarriage a year before he was born. So that was our start um, with our whatever pregnancy journey. So had a miscarriage like in December um, and then got pregnant a few months later with Will. And even before um, I was pregnant with him, even before pregnancy at all, I had been looking heavily into home birth and I was very interested in that. And so um, after just doing a lot of research and a lot of just kind of um, looking into that and getting as much info as we could, we both agreed that that's what we wanted to do. So from the very beginning, I was seeing a midwife and doing all of that. And some people think home birth is really like out there and like you're using like burning incense and like crazy stuff. And some people might do that. That's fine. It's like for me, it wasn't like that. We did like did a lot of the same things that you would do in a hospital, all the same testing, you know, a lot of the same things. It's just pretty much unmedicated. So, um, so that was the plan from the very beginning. And um, I had a very totally normal, uneventful pregnancy. I had a lot of, I had hyperemesis gravidarum for 20, 20 weeks. So that was like the worst part of it. But after that went away, <laughs> it, was good. Like it was honestly great. I didn't like, didn't mind being pregnant. It was, we were, it was fine. And so I was planning on working right up until he decided to come pretty much because with a home birth, you don't induce or anything. Um, and when I was 39 weeks, I was, I had turned 39 weeks on a Friday and I was started having this feeling. I'm like, I really need to find people to work for me like next week. Like I feel like this baby's going to come a little bit sooner than what I was planning. And so get that all covered and go throughout the weekend, just kind of prepping for his arrival, just waiting for him to come. And on 
Then following Tuesday, 39 weeks and four days on January 17th, I had had a pretty normal morning and was just doing my thing. Had a little bit of like lower back kind of crampiness, but like no contractions and nothing crazy. Um, like definitely didn't think it was labor. Um, and so Brady got home and then we were just standing in our living room and I was like, what are we going to eat for dinner? And he's like, I don't know, what should we do? And then I like, I was leaning down and I stand up and my water like explodes. Like it doesn't just break. Like it's like everywhere, like the movies, which I'm told doesn't happen that way very often. (laughs) And I like look up at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, was that my water? And he's like, as if he would know. And he's like, I think so. And I was like, okay, so like what happens next? And so I start contracting like immediately. And this is like around 6 p.m. And so I text my midwife and I'm kind of like freaking out. And I'm like, my water just broke. And so she's like, okay, like she only lives five minutes away from me. She's like, okay, I'll be right over to come check on you. Um, and her plan was to come and check on me and then leave and then come back later because normally labor is not as quick as mine ended up being. <laughs> and so she gets here and is checking everything and is like, I think I'm going to stay because it was like contractions every 90 seconds right out of the chute. So Brady starts like stress cleaning our house and like setting everything up. <laughs> and I had like a birth pool and everything. So he set that up and got it all filled. and. Um, I labored for just three hours and it was the wildest ride I've ever been on. And it was crazy and amazing. Um, and I was so worried about making noise in labor and I made so much noise the whole time, (laughs) like looking like my, my throat was sore after (laughs) because of all the noise I was making. And it was, I I think it helped, but it was just kind of crazy. Um, so he is born at 9.04 at night, um, so only three hours of labor, which is like nuts for a first-time mom and was totally crazy and unexpected. <laughs> and um, everything went great. Labor was awesome. And he, you know, it was like 15 minutes of pushing and he was out and um, fine. So he comes out and my midwife immediately starts giving him bagged breaths. Um, And so they're trying to get him breathing, giving him bagged breaths, but his APGAR scores were good. He was like an eight. And so we, none of us were like really that concerned because his APGAR was good. Um, She's giving him bagged breaths. And then he like lets out a couple little cries. And so we're like, she's like, okay, great. Takes the bag off of him, hands him to me. And I'm like holding him and rubbing him. And then he stops crying. And so then my midwife takes him away from me. And starts giving him like actual oxygenated breaths, like one mid. So one midwife is like sucking stuff out of his lungs, and the other midwife um, has the oxygen mask on him, and is delivering oxygenated breaths to him. And we do that for a few minutes. His APGARs are still good, but he's just not quite like. is like, you know what, I think it's time to get him to a hospital. Let's like, do you want us to call an ambulance or do you want to take him? And I was like, no, like Brady can take him. Brady will get him there quickly. Even then people like my whole birth team, they still weren't concerned because it's just like, he came out with a lot. He probably just got some of it. Like when he was on coming out, 
and he just needs a little bit of medicine just to help his lungs open up. Like he's going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, he's going to be fine. And so they get in the car, they call the hospital. This is only like four minutes away from us and tell them they're on their way and they go. And so I am still at my house. Um, and so that kind of begins our crazy, unexpected <laughs> journey. We had no idea what we were in for. So Brady gets to the hospital with him. Um, and this is all information relayed to me because I wasn't there. Um, and they are kind of like, we don't know what to do with him. Like he's not like coming around, he's not stabilizing. So they get him intubated and um get him stable enough and then in the middle of the night like we need to get him to a bigger hospital so they take him by ambulance to a bigger hospital south of us um and they get him there um and they had put him on a hypothermic cooling pad to help slow down cellular metabolism to hopefully mitigate any like brain damage that might be occurring because he's still not like oxygenating effectively. Um, and so he's put on this hypothermic therapy and is like heavily sedated. Um, I get to the, this next hospital at like eight o'clock in the morning and we're basically just told, um, your baby's very sick and we don't know what's going on. Um, he's really unstable and we're doing everything we can, but like nothing is working and we think it might be an infection, but we've tested for every infection we can think of. And that's all coming back negative. We have no clue like what's happening, but he's not okay. Um, and so this doctor down at this other hospital is like, I'm going to call primary children's and I'm really hoping that they will take him because that's his only hope at this point. Um, he's like, they have this machine called ECMO that they can put him on. And that machine will do the work of his heart and lungs for him. Um, and that'll give his body time to recover from whatever is happening. And um, hopefully he'll get better. And so I'm like, okay, like, that sounds hopeful. Like primary children's is the best hospital ever. Like they'll, they'll like, if anyone can do it, they can do it. He's going to be fine. And so we're kind of just waiting around for answers. And then he comes in to tell us that primary children's is going to take him and um, that they will get him stable and ready for life flight up to primary children. So they get him all prepped for life flight at this point. Like it, when I got there, like I still really haven't seen him because as soon as I got there, they were like just surrounding him, like doing all this work. So I've like hardly even seen him. And then, so they get him prepped for the life flight. We get to go and see him before he takes off and tell him we love him and everything. And um, so then he gets sent up to primary children's um, kind of in the middle of the afternoon. So we go um, from that hospital down south. We like make a quick pit stop at our house and grab just a suitcase of things. I was like, I don't even know what to bring. I have no idea what to expect. Um, and I am packing my own things. And as I'm packing my things, I'm like, well, he's going to need something. Like, I feel like I was a little like kind of dissociated, like in my mind about how like serious his condition actually was. And I was like packing and I'm like, well, he needs an outfit because when he comes home in a couple of days, he's going to need an outfit to come home. And so I'm like packing him like, you know, things he'll need. Um, and then we head up to meet him at primary children's where we're told basically the same thing. As soon as we get there, the doctor comes to meet us and is like, your baby's very sick. We don't know why. Um, 
And I have a couple of things I'm going to try, but if that doesn't work, then we need to get them on ECMO. Um, in ECMO, what this machine does is it is a couple of tubes that go through your carotid artery in your neck. And it's kind of like dialysis where it takes the blood out, oxygenates it, and then puts it back in to the body. So it's like dialysis, but for your heart and lungs. Um, so we're kind of just waiting. She comes in. She's like, okay, it's time. We need to get him on ECMO. So we run down to his room um, and to see him before they take him for surgery. And this is like my first time, like really like seeing him. And I just am telling him I love him. And, um, and at the same time, just like seeing all of this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all so crazy. And I remember just like whispering to him, I'm like, you like you do whatever you need to do. Like if if you need to go, then like then you can go. <laughs> and you know, anyway, I love you. And but like if you need to go, then you can do that. You don't need to fight. Um, but uh, he made it through the surgery, thankfully. Um, and so he's on ECMO, and then. A couple of days after that, it's kind of just, it all just kind of like melds together. <laughs> but um, so we spend those next few days like pretty much just living inside like the NICU waiting room. Just like we would show up first thing in the morning and we would sit there and wait for the doctor to come and tell us what was going on. And then we were there like all into the evening. Um, and so every day, like the doctors kind of come in and they're just like, it the best news we got is like he's not changing and then you know worst news is like this is now an issue and so like he wasn't his body wasn't clearing like the lactic acid in his blood and so that lactic acid was like causing tissue damage to other organs and um his heart and lungs like still weren't working in the way they should they still weren't coordinating and um nothing was getting better there um and then they had they had like him hooked up to EEG the whole time, monitoring his brain waves. Like his brain waves are really, really low. Like he's not like there's like hardly anything kind of going on. But he was on like that hypothermia still, so they're like it could be because we have him in a state of hypothermia, and so everything is slowed down. So once he warms, once he warms up, it might um, be a little bit better. So um, Friday was when they were starting to warm his body up and they had to do that over a period of a few hours. So Friday night, um, they start warming his body up and we would come back the next day to for news on Saturday on like what that, um, if that changed anything. So Saturday we go in and we are waiting to hear from the neurologist and everything. And they come in and they're like, his brainwaves are pretty much the same as they were before. Um, so like you guys, we had already been uh, like talking about like this being the outcome from the beginning. And so we had anticipated it. Um, so they asked us what we wanted to do. And we decided we would take him off life support the following day on Sunday. So we spent that whole Saturday contacting as many family members as we could. And they were all coming to the NICU. 
And it was an all day event of introducing him to our family and um, letting everyone meet him and say goodbye. And it was so nice. We had so many people there. Um, and then Sunday we um, had family, more family come over and um, my husband gave him a blessing for our church. And um, then held him as they, my husband, well, we got to hold him while he was alive. We both took turns holding him for a little while because the machine he was on, we couldn't hold him. And so neither of us had held him. This is my first time. I had held him for a few minutes after he was born, a few seconds. And then my husband had never held him. And so this was our first time holding him. And so we both took turns holding him for a while. And then we, uh, my husband held him while they took him off of life support. And he passed peacefully and quickly. Um, and we don't know for sure what happened to him. We didn't have an autopsy done, but our guess is, and just based on information from the doctors and what they think happened is he had something called persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. And basically that is just something that can happen for no reason. And it, the baby is totally fine while they're inside, but then as soon as they come out, their heart and lungs don't make the transition that it's supposed to make in order to breathe air. And it just, that transition just didn't happen. So he sustained a really severe brain injury um, because of the lack of oxygenation and then all the other like problems with his blood, just not like circulating and damage to his heart and lungs from that. And so all of that combined was ultimately the reason for his death. Um, but just kind of a total fluke, unexpected, unfortunate thing that happened. Um, so that's the, that's the gist of the story. <laughs> oh. I'm like, I'm like shaking over here. I mean, like you can see it. You could probably see my camera like shaking as I was telling it. But anyway. So what did you hope the next few days? What were you doing? Oh, um, it's, I don't, I don't even know. Like. Looking back at pictures, I was definitely like very out of it. Like I like I just look so like distant. Like you can just tell my eyes are like not present at all. Like just no clue like what's happening. I remember waking up the next day and we just like cooked breakfast and we're just like our baby died yesterday and we're cooking breakfast and have to like go to the store and like start doing life again. And just like thinking about how just weird that was. Um, for me, and we, we decided to have the funeral like that following Saturday. So that week was kind of busy with like funeral plans. And so that was like really distracting. Um, but then after the funeral, that's when it all like kind of really set in. Um, my work was like, was really, really great. My boss was super kind and he let me take my full maternity leave. Um, and so I just like stayed home and 
got to just do a lot of like relaxing and processing, I guess, and just like didn't have to worry about like going to work and, you know, like just jumping like right back into life. Um, I don't know. It's definitely like a daily kind of battle. And I would say most days are good, but you definitely get the hard ones. And, um, but I feel like I've, I'm like getting to a point, not necessarily of like acceptance, but of just like the hard days aren't like as like devastating. I don't ask like, why, you know, why did this happen? Like so much, you know, or like, anyway, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah, just goes around. Yeah. And did you, but, were you able to find any sort of community or people to connect with over there? Yeah, so going to, we went to a support group with Share Parents of Utah almost immediately. So their Draper meeting is the first Thursday of the month. And so we went like right at the beginning of February. It had only been like two to three weeks, like since our loss. And they were like, holy cow, you guys like already here. I'm like, yeah, I want to like get this, get this going. And so we've really loved that. And then I know Abby and Allie have both been on your podcast who I met at the chapters and seasons event. And I had met Allie through social media. And so I recognized her and went up and talked to her and she was like, and this is my friend, Abby. And our baby shared the same room at Primary Children's. And I was like, oh, what room number were you guys in? She was like 4046. And I was like, wait a second. I like go back through my pictures and pull up a picture of our room number. And Will was in the same room. And so I like show her the picture. And Allie was like, no way. And so we were all just like, I like, I can't believe that all of our babies were like in that same room together. And so we've like, we've connected over that and have all like, talked a lot and we're getting together in a couple of weeks in September and so that's been really special just those friends and that we've made <laughs> with this even though you wish you didn't have to know them but yeah. it's nice to have to have it yeah, what a sacred room yeah what was the timeline was Will he was right before and so we think because their babies were one right after another I think it was um Allie's baby was first and then Abby's baby came in like the day after um and so mine was in January and then there was like a couple week gap before um Allie's baby um came into the room and so when yeah me Allie Abby um so yeah (laughs) crazy yeah it was pretty crazy and yeah the most and they put the sickest babies down in that room at like the very end of the hallway so you know there are lots more out there unfortunately but yeah just kind of a crazy connection and it but it is it's nice too because at least for us like we felt like the whole time we were with our son, like it felt so like sacred and peaceful. And like, it just felt like there were so many like angels around us. Like you could feel it. Like when you walked into his room and so I like, 
I like to hope that like Will was there like for Allie and that like Allie and Lincoln were there for Lily and Abby. And, you know, it's like that all of our babies are, are there for each other when we're all going through this in that, that hospital. But yeah. Yeah. How did you become aware of the sheriff the hospital that you're about then? Um, no, I, I just like, I figured there had to be a support group out there. So I just like Googled like wow. infant loss support group. <laughs> and then I also had, um, one of my husband's cousins, um, his wife, she's there our age and her mom had a stillborn baby. So she has a stillborn sister. And so she's like, you know, knows about like a lot of this stuff and like how to help. And so she had also sent me the link for share parents and said that, um, that like her mom really liked support group and sent that to me. And so she sent it to me, I Googled it. And so I had a, you know, a few different like, um, interactions with it when I found it and we decided to try it. So that is so they really are. Yeah, it's been so helpful. What would you say, like, what changes have you seen in yourself since Will? Even if it's not huge, just like the person you yeah. were in January versus now, like, what, what has changed? Yeah, um, everything, <laughs> even though it doesn't, it doesn't look like it. I've like told my husband this, that I'm like, it feels so weird from the outside looking in, like our lives are nearly the exact same. It's like, we go to the same job. We have the same schedule. We live in the same house. You know, it's like really like nothing changed, but then it feels like everything is different. And I think the biggest thing is um, for both of us. And my husband said this in his talk at the funeral is, um, Will's heart wasn't able to make that change when he was being born. And, um, but his heart changed both of our hearts and it made us both, I think, softer and it made us both, um, just more like empathetic. And it's made me want to just like be a better person. I'm like, I just, I'm like, I want to make my son proud. It's like, I know that it's like the opposite. It's like, seems true but it's like I want to make sure that he's proud of his mom and I want to be a good person and I want to help other people and oftentimes it still feels like we're kind of in this we're still in the thick of it it's only been you know eight months and so like it often doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of like progress being made but you know I know that it's it is coming and that it's continuing to be made and that um, more progress will continue, but I think that's the biggest thing is just my heart's been softened by him and, um, has the capacity for so much more love and, you know, you're like living for him. Yeah. You <laughs> wish you could do it. Yeah. Is there like any piece of advice or like tip that you would have for somebody going through similar 
now that you've been through, you know, the messiest part of it? Yeah. Um, something that I've always struggled with is like being patient with myself um, and like feeling like I need to be somewhere different than where I am. Like I should be here. This is the progress I should be making. And also the like self-blame for what's happened. Like, was there something I could have done if I had had him somewhere else Would the result have been different, you know? And um, so that's something I think all moms who go through a loss go through a period of wondering if there's something they could have done to, to change the outcome. And the biggest thing for me is just to be so, so kind to yourself and so patient with yourself because, you know, if there was anything that could have been done, like you would have done it. I would have done it. Anyone would have done it. And sometimes things just happen because we live in a world where bad things happen for no reason. And, um, I know we like to find a reason. So just being so patient with yourself and allowing the feelings to come and taking them as they are and not trying to be in a different spot or not trying to, to change it. Um, that's something I like have worked on a ton in the last few months is just like allowing things to be and not um, trying to make it into something else or make it go away or anything like that but. Well, that's such valuable advice yeah we really like we are not being kind to ourselves and nothing else matters like we are not in a good place so mm-hmm. I think that's very true and every lost parent with them that's in that trap and so hearing you give them permission to be patient so well is there any other thought you would like to share before we wrap up um um if I just I'm appreciative of this platform and for giving people an opportunity to share because um this is like it's a story I've like wanted to tell but it's difficult to tell and I just like never felt like there was a right place to do it and so I just I appreciate just even if I'm the only person who hears this podcast I appreciate I got to (laughs) I got to share and just hearing stories from other people and just your platform of just bringing awareness and everything it's so nice living in a time where this can be like talked about and we can connect over it and it's not something that's shoved down and hidden and people suffer with alone so just grateful for the opportunity I'm so glad you find value in it like I selfishly really feel it's such a privilege to hear your story and like I just it just feels like such a sacred space so I really appreciate you like that oh thank you and getting to know sweet little Will and mm-hmm. like feel his spirit so thank you so much for sharing and I'm so happy you know you found a little community I hope I can meet up with you sometime and we can 
we can bond and, you know different over teeth. over cleaning teeth and <laughs> <laughs> yes well seriously Kennedy you and Brady are an amazing couple and amazing parents for well mm. and I really am so excited for other parents to hear this story thank you yeah, thank you and we will be talking again but until then i will see you later thank you okay bye bye